Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, men. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, As Sam said, some of you uh, know me well, some of you don't. Uh, Previous life, some of you know I once played for the Astros, and just to get the out of the way, I was, we did not steal signs to the point where um, we, uh, somebody asked me today, what did y'all do? I said, look here, dude, we were so living in the dark ages, we didn't even stretch as a team. So we were, they are in a totally different stratosphere than we were. Um, uh, just a, just a, can I tell a quick baseball story, you guys mind? Uh, we, we were so backwards that uh, we our formula was our pitchers were better than yours, and Lance Berkman would eventually drive in a couple runs, and we'd win the game two to one or three to two, and that was kind of our formula. And uh, we didn't we didn't have hitters meetings, we didn't have team stretch. It was kind of the team time had forgot, but we, we had good pitchers. And so anyway, uh, we had a free agent come over and sign with us, and he actually this is kind of pertinent to the whole science thing. He's like, man, you guys don't like tip pitches from second base. Nobody does. We're all looking around like, no. And he's like. You're like the only team in the league that doesn't give signs from second base. What, what are we doing? And he had obviously had a lot of success doing it, which, by the way, is part of the game. This isn't closed-circuit cameras on the catcher banging trash cans. This is part of the skill of the sport. So anyway, he devises the plan in which we are going to start stealing signs if any of us could get to second base besides Lance. And uh, <laughs> so we come up with this plan, nothing crazy. You know, everybody's done it in some form. You know, we're going to. We're going to turn around and show our numbers to the hitter and give the outs if we got the signs. And then, you know, if we, if we, if we step and, and, and put our hands on our legs, that'll be a breaking ball. If we step and stay upright, that'll be a fastball. Okay, we got it. So one game we get it, and um, we're, we're actually having some success with it. And Berkman gets a second base after a, a rocket that I'm sure almost knocked down the wall. And Lance, he kind of viewed base running as like um, – his job was already over. Like, his job was to drive you in. But once he was on base, like, you kind of needed to hit a homer to get him in. And he wasn't too concerned with actually playing that piece of the sport. And so he, him relaying you signs was not the most confident feeling as a hitter. You know, like, you're, like, pretty sure this dude's not watching the catcher signs. So, anyway, he realized that he had forgotten to do it and that the hitter, and ironically enough, the hitter who devised the whole scheme was up. And Lance realized that he forgot to, to relay it, but that he was in a posture that he was, but he realized he had no clue what the pitch was. So Lance would tell you that, you know, that everybody talks about the five tools of baseball. He had the sixth tool, which is he could fake an injury with the best of them. And so he screamed Al and grabbed his hamstring, called timeout, went back to the base. Of course, our trainer freaks out, runs out there, and he's like, what's up? He's like, <clears throat> I want to share his name. He says, tell him I don't know the signs. <laughs> our trainer's like, what? He's like, just act like I'm cramping, but make sure you tell him on your way back in that I don't know the signs. <laughs> so it's so funny because Lance is kind of squirrely cat, so we're all out there like, what is he doing? You know, like he didn't run hard enough. There's no way he's cramping, you know. 
And so the trainer comes back in, and we see the trainer kind of whisper to the dude who's supposed to be hitting as he's walking out. And we're like, Rex, what was that all about? He's like, Lance forgot the signs. You know, we're all just, we're all just crazy. So that was our closest thing we ever got to stealing signs. No buzzers, no trash cans. Anyway, let's talk about Jesus. It's way more entertaining. So um, <clears throat> Ronnie, with a great word last week, Mark chapter 2, um, man, the healing of a par- paralytic man. My prayer for this room is that that story would almost be uh, central to everything we are in this room. May we never get tired of bringing men to Jesus. May we never get um, complacent with having eyes to see those men in our lives that we know need to be introduced to Jesus. And we know uh, that he will meet our greatest need. And sometimes it's not exactly the way we had it planned. Uh, but I just love the word that Ronnie shared with us last week and just the radical nature of Jesus that, of course, they're bringing him to, to heal the guy physically, and Jesus is like, your sins are forgiven. Um, and in only a way he can because the Pharisees, he, he kind of got a kick out of punking out the Pharisees. He's like, who are you to forgive his sins? Well, it's like, which one's easier, for me to tell him to get up and walk or forgive his sins? But just so you all know that I can forgive his sins, I'm going to tell him to get up and walk. So I uh, love that word and, and prayerful that we would be a room that eventually we got to move to twice as big a space, not because we care how many people are in here, but we care about each man one at a time and know that they all need to meet Jesus and uh, that we would be a group of men that are guilty of doing whatever it takes, wrecking the roof, uh, to bring men to Jesus one at a time. So such a good word. If you missed last week, that's a little little recap. So then um, in chapter 3, we see that Jesus is starting to grow a pretty big crowd. Um, he's, He's performing miracles. He's, uh, he's punking out the Pharisees. He appoints the 12 apostles there in chapter 3. And we pick it up today in chapter 4. Um, and we see uh, Jesus is going to teach the first part of chapter 4. He's going to teach a group of parables. Um, and Jesus loved to tell stories. He loved to tell agricultural stories that was pertinent to the men of that day. And so he taught a lot um, in ways that, that registered with the, 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 the people of that of that era, and so there was a lot of parables uh, about farming and sowing and seeds. Um, and I love, you know, I hope you read through that that parable of the sower. Jesus uh, sticking to our baseball theme this morning. Jesus tells us that when you're evangelizing, a, a 250 batting average isn't bad. So that gives me a encouragement this morning as somebody with a 238 career batting average. 250 is not bad. So um, that makes me smile this morning. But just a, a great word of encouragement for all of us that have. Um, seen our uh, attempt to bring men to Jesus fall on thorny soil or rocky soil, uh, Jesus gives us a spoiler alert to not let that uh, shake our confidence or keep us from scattering seeds. Um, so a beautiful word there in the first part of chapter 4. Uh, and then we go through um, some parables where Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of God. Now just remember, like, context of what's going on here. This is a, this is a dude in a new, uh, presenting a new way of thinking and, and trying to announce to the world uh, that the kingdom of God is near. And uh, everybody's trying to figure them out. They love the miracles. They love the healings. Uh, the religious leaders don't care for him too much. Uh, but he's certainly drawing a crowd. Um, so much so that we see in, in uh, chapter 3, a lot of times when he speaks, he has to go out onto the water because the people were literally like mobbing him. And the water works kind of as an amphitheater too. Uh, to help his voice project to huge crowds, but also it was just a way for him to distance himself from the people because you can imagine somebody 
healing people. Um, people were coming from miles away to, to have their needs met and trying to figure out who this dude was. And so we, we find him here in verse 35. Uh, he's out on the water. He's been preaching all day uh, in the boat with his disciples. And uh, that's where we pick it up. So hopefully everybody's there. Mark 4, verse 35. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boat, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And verse 41 finishes, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Those are the six verses that we're going to be diving in today. And my hope is that, uh, I love the way Mason tees it up for us in our, uh, in our uh, Man Challenge guides, the way we should read through Scripture, uh, the questions we should be asking ourselves as we read through Scripture. And one of those is, man, what can I learn about the character of God, the, 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 the heart of Jesus in this story or in this passage or in this verse? And so today I just want us to dive into five truths that we learn about Jesus through his calming of the storm, all right? So uh, let's get into it. Verse 35, uh, we're going to find our first truth. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, verse 36, leaving the crowd behind. So number one, I want you guys to write down, man, first truth about Jesus is he will leave the crowd behind. You know, I've been uh, fortunate enough to uh, be leading the table now for about a decade, and one of the areas that I find men struggle with the most, and this is, there's no judgment in this, this is something that uh, I certainly have struggled with and can continue to struggle with, is man, we, we sometimes, we get pretty connected to our crowds. And some of us don't even realize it, some of us are fighting that battle every day. But the truth is that oftentimes when we decide to take a step of faith towards Jesus, he's also calling us away from a crowd. Maybe that is a social crowd. Maybe that is a, uh, a crowd that's associated with our hobbies. Maybe that's a crowd that's our family. Maybe that's a crowd that's our college crowd or our high school crowd. Uh, maybe that's a crowd that I like to slip off into and kind of hide. But when Jesus calls us to walk with him, oftentimes that's away from a crowd. And as you study through the Gospels and you Uh, read about the life of Christ, it's very clear that one of the priorities of Jesus' ministry is that while he built a crowd because he was so dynamic and the light was so strong, people were drawn to him, he was not concerned with the crowd. He was not concerned with uh, offending the crowd. He was not concerned with leaving the crowd. And what we see here very clearly in uh, verse 35 and 36, he had this huge crowd so big that he had to go out onto the boat to be able to see and for them to be able to hear him and so that they didn't mob him. The crowd was so big, and most preachers would think that was pretty cool, right? Like, my feelings are hurt that my crowd's pretty small today. My table didn't even come today. I shouldn't have told him I was speaking. But, like, we all like a crowd, right? We, everybody loves a crowd. Jesus, he wasn't concerned with the crowd. 
And as we grow closer to Jesus, my prayer is that our boldness will take us to a, a place in our faith where the crowd uh, doesn't have its, its grab of us. It doesn't have its hold of us. We, we can walk away from a crowd of men that are consistently hiding in a vice that we know is no good from us. We can walk away from a family that doesn't have faith. And when you hear me say walk away from, I, I don't mean relationally. I just mean from maybe a behavioral set or a belief system. Hopefully we keep those relationships and we invest in those relationships. But we're not afraid to walk away from a social group that has a different priority set. Like men who follow Jesus, men who are trying to model their life after Jesus, <clears throat> are not afraid to leave the crowd. Right? We see that very clearly with Jesus. Uh, I, I love that, that passage where he's teaching and he's talking about him being, himself being the bread of life. And the Bible says, <clears throat> man, this is a tough teaching. Who can accept it? And it says they, they started to walk away. And he looks at the disciples and says, what about y'all? Y'all going to leave? You know, I guess they didn't like that. How about y'all? You know, and I, I just, I, I pray uh, that our feet are in the ground uh, and that we are men that are known for not being afraid to take a narrow path. I love uh, Matthew um, 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life. And only a few find it. And a man who's chasing after Jesus is not afraid to be apart from the crowd. Not afraid to walk a narrow path. I pray that would be a, a phrase that defines the men in this room. Moving forward, verse, uh, so leaving the crowd behind, it says, they took him along just as he was. So just... I love that language, like just as he was. They didn't, they didn't go get a change of clothes. They didn't go grab a meal. They didn't go say goodbye to the wife and kids. Jesus is like, hey, we're headed to the other side of the lake. Off they went, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, which I've read through this story however many times. And, and for some reason, that, that, that piece of the verse grabbed me this time around. Like There were other boats. It wasn't just him and the disciple. There were other boats on this journey with him. Verse 37 it says, a furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Uh, I had a chance to meet with Mason recently. He was telling me about uh, a, kind of a faith journey of his own when we went over to Israel. He said the first time he looked at, Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee here, by the way. And when he looked at the Sea of Galilee, he was like, man, this body of water, there is no way like a nasty storm came up. This looks like a peaceful lake that you'd see. Uh, anywhere in America, like there's no way the winds were coming up over the boat, and so he did a little uh, dig in, and and the tour guide was started talking to him about the pop up storms that are that occur all the time on this lake, and I'm certainly no expert in the geography of the Sea of Galilee, but the the wind currents and the way it's situated relative to the mountains, um, still modern day, a quick Google search will tell you this: like there are pop up storms, deadly pop up storms, all the time on the Sea of Galilee. And so, and, and specifically nighttime is a, is a period where the storms can get uh, really rough. And so truth number two that we find about Jesus here um, in this story is that he is not afraid to send us to uncomfortable places. We like comfort. We think sometimes God's blessings are associated with safety and our uh, flesh needs being met, but that's not really... Uh, one of Jesus' priorities. He will send us to uncomfortable places. And 
uh, in this story, we see quite obviously that Jesus, number one, wasn't worried if their needs were met for this trip, wasn't worried if they had a meal, wasn't worried if they had told their family goodbye, wasn't worried uh, about um, giving them a heads up that they were going to travel across the lake. And oh, by the way, they're going from Capernaum over to a uh, Gentile side of the lake. They're going from the west side to the east side, and they're going to a non-Jewish territory. So not only will Jesus send them into uncomfortable places, he will send them into an uncomfortable place for, to go minister to foreigners, to go minister to people that are not part of their tribe. Uh, what a beautiful lesson uh, for us to grab a hold of. Um, so they're headed out there at night. And I don't know if Jesus knew a storm was coming. I don't know if he intentionally put them in a place where their life were going to be in danger or if he just didn't care. But Jesus sends them out there, and he doesn't watch guard. Like, like Jesus, as we read here just a little bit further, Jesus is going to find himself a nice place to rest. So it says that a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Do we have that picture? Uh, yeah, man, this is a, you know, who knows exactly what the boat looked like, but this is a picture I found, like, Jesus is out. It says he was in the stern. I love how Mark gives us this detail. It doesn't say Jesus nodded off. It doesn't say Jesus slipped into a, a nap. It says Jesus was in the stern. He, he went into the stern. He grabbed a cushion, and he was asleep. And we get a real clear grasp of a couple of things here. Number one, Jesus was fully human. I know sometimes it's hard for us to grasp that. I'm, I'm certainly guilty of that at times. Like Jesus was, this story is maybe one of the most powerful examples of Jesus' humanity and his divinity. But Jesus was fully human, man. Jesus needed a rest. He'd been preaching all day. He sent these dudes out into the storm, and he took a nap. And I think it's fair to deduce that he wasn't just like lightly sleeping. Obviously, you guys tell me if I'm going too far here, but these disciples, like they're fishermen, some of them. They've dealt with storms. They've dealt with waves. They've dealt with uncomfortable situations. Like, I don't think they woke Jesus up at the first crack of thunder. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think, hey, Jesus, it's raining, man. Hop up here. What do you think? Like, I think it was pretty ugly by the time they woke Jesus up. So the fact that he was still asleep lets us know that, like, we're at kind of the breaking point here. Something tells me to wake Jesus up. Things had to be pretty, pretty bad. And I think for me, it's comforting to know, because guys, what I don't want by any means today is to present this gospel of like, there's a nasty storm, just wake Jesus up, he'll calm it down. Maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. <clears throat> Maybe he won't. <clears throat> and there's some men in here that are dealing with some storms that, boy, they wish Jesus would calm them down. <clears throat> and he hasn't, and I don't know why. I don't begin to, to, to reason with the Lord of the universe. But sometimes he's asleep, not uh, literally, but figuratively. And sometimes he's just watching. And he's right there next to us, and he's, he's watching us call, and he's watching us draw near, and maybe it's his will that he doesn't answer that call. Maybe it's will, his will that he does. But what I know and what I've seen in the lives of so many people that I've been fortunate enough to walk alongside is uh, he's with us. 
and his will sometimes is to calm those storms and sometimes it isn't. But what I do know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, what I do know, he's not afraid to go into uncomfortable places. Whether he's awake or asleep, whether we feel him or we don't, he's there. He's always there. And he's not afraid to take us in uncomfortable places. And as you go through the Gospels, you will see Jesus uh, go into Samaria to meet a woman at the well. You will see Jesus go into a tax collector's house to be with the sinners. You will see Jesus allow a sinful woman to wipe his feet with her tears. Like, Jesus is not worried about the boundaries that we've put up. He just isn't. And here he is sending the disciples out to a very uncomfortable place. Um, and so I pray that we would be men that are not afraid of uncomfortable places ourselves. Maybe that's just going across town. Maybe it's going across the world. But if we're going to follow after Jesus, we should not be afraid. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a coworker that's in the cubicle next to you, and that's a really uncomfortable place, right? But if we're going to follow him, we should not be afraid of uncomfortable places. So uh, truth number three about Jesus we find out very clearly in verse 39. It says, He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. So truth number three we find out about Jesus is, man, he is Lord of all. He is above it all. He is bigger than it all. He is all-powerful. And this is one of those uh, points that if you've studied apologetics at all, you will see is, is consistently brought up. People that poke holes in faith will say, well, either your God doesn't love you as much as you think he does, or he's not as powerful as you think he is. Because if he loved you, why would he let bad things happen? And if he was so powerful, why wouldn't he just fix all the bad things? Uh, and I'm not going to stand up here and, and, and work through that argument today. But I think in this story, we see an answer to both of those questions, which is number one, he's so much above all things that he can rebuke the wind and tell the waves to be quiet and be still, just as he would a demon. And if you go to Mark 125, the exact same way he healed a demon-possessed man, the exact same verbiage that he used to, to remove a demon from a man is the exact same language he uses to calm the storm. He talks to the wind and the waves as he would an evil spirit in a human. Like, hey, man, you guys need to take a hike. And they go, you know, one, one verse, he's asleep on a cushion, and the next verse, he's commanding the wind and the waves to die down. And so we see here that, man, Jesus is Lord of all. Sometimes I feel like our picture of him isn't quite big enough, um, and so we lose sight of the faith that Sam talked about earlier that we need to weather some of those storms. Uh, Sam was asking me about my kids. I got, I got five of them. We, we, we live on, a, uh, on the end of a cul-de-sac, and our driveway is, it's not crazy steep, but it, it runs right down into the cul-de-sac, and it's a fairly uh, steep uh, decline from our garage down to the cul-de-sac. And so as a, as a dad who's, um, you know, been raising little ones now for the last 12 years, especially when the weather's good and we get outside a lot, like, you know, when you say, hey, you want to go outside, they're all geeked up, man, yeah, let's go outside, let's go outside, you know, they're like little engines that, that have their batteries all charged, and as soon as you let them down, they're, you know, they're kicking like they want to go. They want to run. Once they start running and walking, like they want to go. As soon as you let them down, what are they about to do? They're firing right down that driveway. You know, it's a little, 
marbly, stony, and there's some, I don't do a great job of keeping it uh, maybe as, as uh, paved as I should, and there's some cracks in it, and like, there's a 50-50 shot somebody's taking a nosedive every time I let them go, you know what I mean? Like, there's a real good chance we got something bad about to happen, right? And part of it's because maybe I just don't feel like chasing after, but part of me has this kind of deal where I'm just like, you know what? Uh, you know, the coach in me is like, let's see how coordinated this little youngster is. Uh, and, and, and the dad in me is just like, hey, whatever happens here, they're going to have to deal with. And so the beauty of our uh, child order is that our daughter is first. And especially after our first two boys, with our last two boys, she has really grown into kind of this motherly role on her, on her best days. And she helps us quite a bit with the young ones. So a lot of times she'll come out with me and I can remember letting Lucas down and, you know, off he goes down the sidewalk. And uh, I remember Lucas just taking a nosedive right into the concrete, you know what I mean? And I'm coming around the bushes and I've, I've heard it already, he's squealing. And Sydney's just booking after him, you know, and I haven't picked up my pace at all. And she's like, Daddy, she says, don't you care? Yeah, I, I care. But I've gotten pretty good at gauging the squeals. So it sounds like just a scrape to me. And I, I care, but here's what I care more about. <clears throat> I care more that he learns. I really care that he learns to be coordinated enough to run without losing his balance, but uh, probably more than I should. But I, I really care that he learns that pain is temporary. I really, I really care that he learns how to find me when he's hurting. And I really care that he understands that that fall is not more than he can handle. Like, I really care about that. And I care about it more than I do worrying about if he's got some gravel on an open scab. And so as Sydney, bless her heart, goes flying after him, I tell her to stop. Sydney, he's fine. Let him get up. And she'll look at me like I'm, you know, a really awful dad. I said, baby, you fell just the same way. You're doing just fine. And he'll get up. And he'll, you know, wipe his chin or he'll look at his knee or maybe he's not breathing. You guys have all been there. Breathe, baby. Breathe. Breathe. It's okay. It's okay. And what do we learn in those instances usually? Like, you know, maybe we need a little water. Maybe we need a Band-Aid. They, they see a, a little bit of the nurturing side of dad. Fortunately, hopefully mom's not around and not freaking out on me. But what I've seen time and time again is in about two to five minutes, what are they ready to do? And they're ready to roll again, man. Off they go again. And if I've had any lessons uh, and any victories as a father, I feel like uh, early on my kids have, have, have shown a, a measure of toughness that pleases me as their father that I know has only been developed, some of its, some of its nature, some of that's the way God's wired them, but a lot of it's nurture. As their father, part of my job is to teach them toughness. Physical toughness, emotional toughness, not in a bravado, false, look at me, look how macho I am, but in an ability to get past circumstances for the purpose of persevering, knowing that a scraped knee at some point turns into a sick kid or a lost job or a broken dream or a girl that tells them she doesn't love them anymore. And at some point, they got to have the confidence to know that dad's right there. Dad's just a call away. And so Jesus gives these guys a chance to kind of learn that lesson. 
And they call on him. And he stands up. And what I love is they don't say, hey, man, calm this storm. They don't say, Jesus, we're about to die. They say, Jesus, don't you care? Teacher, don't you care if we drown, they say. So he gets up. He rebukes the wind. He calls to the waves, be still. And we know he's Lord over all. And in verse 4, what we'll see is a truth about Jesus is, man, he cares about our faith probably above all. Like he, he wants to know where our faith is. So he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it's easy for us to take shots at disciples like, man, dude, if I was rolling with Jesus, I'd have like had my feet up in the storm because I know we ain't going down, right? He's the Messiah. Like he's, we, he can't die on a boat. He's got to hang on a cross. Like, this ain't it. That's cool. Look at these waves. Whoa, you know, I'd have been so chill. No, man, we do it all the time. I can do it when my son tells me, my son who was born with a bunch of gut issues, who I begged and pleaded with the Lord to save, when he tells me his stomach feels weird, I can, boom, I can, man, what if his gut's clogged up again? You know, like, I can go there like that. And... The truth is, what Jesus wants to do is he wants to produce faith in us because he knows that our faith will help us weather the storms. So he doesn't get up and say, oh, you guys know I care. You guys know I love you. Man, haven't you been listening? Like, that's not what he says. He says, why are you so afraid? And my question for us here today, this morning, man, the stuff that really bogs us down, the stuff that really gets us worked up, like, like, like what I just said, like, what, what am I really afraid of if my son's gut was jacked up again? Like, what's really, what's really got me scared there? Jesus asked him, what are you so afraid of? Do you still not have faith? And I don't know what behavior you're caught up in that, that causes you maybe fear of getting found out. I don't know what uh, discipline, like Sam said, that maybe you're not trusting God in. Maybe... Uh, maybe you have this fear of, do I have enough money? Maybe you have this fear of, uh, does she love me? Maybe you have this fear of, what if I walked away from that group of friends? Maybe you have this fear of um, being vulnerable and intimate with your wife. Like, I don't know what your fear is, but what Jesus has to say to you today is, how's your faith? And I mentioned it earlier. But there is nothing more beautiful than as somebody that's walked through um, a storm and been sharpened by that. But then to also watch your brothers walking through storms and see those that are truly connected to the vine, truly been weathered by uh, the journey of faith with Christ. Look at you <clears throat> and you know they're going through something so deep and so dark and so twisted that you can't even possibly fathom what their day is like. And yet they're coming at you with joy. They're praying for you. They're encouraging you. And you look at them and you go, man, that dude's connected to the vine. That dude has a faith and a Jesus that is above the storm. And that is a beautiful thing to see as a brother to, to be around. That's what I love about being here. That's what I love about you men is the sharpening that goes on by being uh, uh, knee to knee and shoulder to shoulder with men who are connected to the one who's above all regardless of the storms that we face on a day-to-day -day basis. So my prayer is, if, if you haven't gone through those storms, like they're coming, 
They're coming. Not if you face trials, when you face trials. Not, not uh, when you face persecution, or if you face persecution, when you face persecution. Take heart. Jesus says in, in John 16, 33, because I have overcome the world. You know, Romans 8, 28. And guys, please don't, oh, Chris Burke told us, man, if I have enough faith, I can get through storms, man. I'm, these aren't my words. This is the words of, of, these are God's words. Romans 8, 28, man, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And when you see men lead, live that out, you talk about growing faith in my own walk. It's a beautiful thing. But do we trust it? Jesus is asking us today, like, what are you so afraid of? Do you still not have enough faith? And I can't help but think that he's foreshadowing a time when all, you know, you could read this story. If we just stopped right here, be like, man, it'd be cool to be a disciple. Every time the, the winds come and the rains crash, like, he'll just calm it. Like, these dudes all died the worst death known to men. All but John. Stoned, beheaded, crucified upside down. Their storms were coming. And he, he's concerned about their faith so that their faith will allow them to persevere in those storms, and he has that same concern about us. And so I'll finish with uh, verse 40, 41. It says, they were terrified, and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That, that word terrified de- defined as a fearful awe. You can imagine being on a boat with a dude who just told the winds to shut up. I think, I, I think I'd be terrified myself. But that that... That question they ask is the the one we're going to finish with. And I don't care if you're a seeker here today and you haven't put your feet in the ground and say, I believe in Jesus and he's my Lord and Savior, or if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, may we never grow tired of asking ourselves that question, who is this Jesus? Who is he? What's he calling me to? Because what I've learned as I continue to marvel at his word, man, you never quite you never quite have him pinned down. You just he's, he's this profound mystery that is so beautiful to try to chase after. The closer you get, the further you feel away. And there is nothing, there is no one, there is no thing that provides more purpose and more joy and more abundance than this man called Jesus. And my prayer is, if you haven't made a decision for him, that you would really meditate on that question today. Who is this dude? Who is he? What are the depths of this guy, Jesus? What's that mean for me? What's he calling me to? And, and for those of us who have accepted him, accepted the grace that only he offers, uh, I pray that would never grow stale. I think Sam mentioned it earlier, man. The, the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. Man, it, it cuts, it penetrates, it sharpens, it inspires, it moves, it transforms. But only when we go to that well every day and, and really dive into the question, man, who is Jesus and what's he calling me to? Three questions for the table. One, what areas of your life do you need to walk away from the crowd? Some of you guys still haven't made a, dece- a decision for Jesus. Like where, where do you need to, what, who, what? When do you need to walk away from the crowd so that you can take the next step in your faith for Jesus. Number two, uh, man, let's tell some stories. Tell of a time when God blew, you, blew away your concept of him by a display of his power. And God, for, guys, for some of you, that's a time where he healed someone. For some of you, that's where you're 
dirty, ugly heart was uh, cleansed and you were able to look at somebody that had really hurt you and say, I love you or I forgive you. And guys, that's just as big a miracle as any healing or um, uh, miracle that we could come up with. Because if you're like me and you know how judgmental and how ugly your heart is, when you see God enter in and change that, um, man, you talk about a time where your faith grows. And then third, in what areas of your life are you tempted to respond with fear rather than faith? All right, let me pray for us and we'll get to our tables. Father God, uh, we just thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word, God, that uh, transforms, God, your word that uh, never uh, grows stale, God, your word that uh, is bold and your word that can shake a room. Uh, God, I pray that we would meditate on these truths about you, God, that we would be men Uh, that aren't afraid to go into tough places, that aren't afraid to walk away from the crowd, God, men that know that you are above all, Uh, men that are rooted in faith, faith that is unshakable, faith that is uh, built on a rock. And I pray that we would be men, God, who never stop asking the question, uh, who are you and what does that mean in our lives? God, would you help us to wrestle with those questions in a meaningful way this morning? And ultimately, God, I pray that our hearts would be changed so that we can make your name known and we can bless others along the way. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media. 